Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Day four of Where is Alvi? If any of you know where he is or you have seen him, please let him know that we are concerned. We miss him. We just want him to come home. It's like I want to get on the local news. I miss my son. Please come home. Give me back my son. Give me back my son. Give me back my son. We are coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. Whether you want to buy a home or refinance your current home, Rocket can. Welcome to the program. My name is Jim Rome. And there I am. If you're watching on CBS Sports Network, if you're also watching on the network, then you see behind the glass, there is no Alvin. There is Ike. There he is. There's Chalk. There's Cindy. Where is Alvin? Once again, we have not seen Alvin since birthday Friday. The infamous birthday Friday. Last Friday was Alvin Delora's birthday. I sent him into the weekend. I said, Alvy, have a great weekend. Have a great birthday weekend. What do you have planned? He said, dude, we have a, a violin recital. And if all goes well, I'm going to go to Red Robin. That and get the all-you-can-eat French fries. And then we have not seen or heard from him since. I've got no idea, man. That is some kind of bender. Some kind of French fry bender. Alvy, I hope you're all right. All right, so the show sets up like this. Pretty unusual Thursday. It's a good Thursday, but a pretty unusual Thursday in that we are wide-ass open to get the program going. Nothing in the way of interviews until hour number three. So you know what that means. You've got no excuse not to take your shot, not to shoot your shot. Let's do this. Telephone number is one 636 8686 Because we are in smack-off season, there will be another smack-off profile. Yesterday, Mike and Indy got the treatment. We also had a legendary RSVP from Caleb. Today, another player profile. The player profile today, spoiler alert, goes to the R.I.B. Rick in Buffalo. Some of you love this guy. Some of you hate this guy. Consider being the former. I love the guy. He's finished his highest number two in the competition. He's going to get the treatment later on today, so we will slide that in. In the meantime, you should take your shot. 1-800-636-8686. Hit me up on Twitter at Jim Rome. Email me at Rome, R-O-M-E, at habitate.com. In addition to that, the interview is set up like this. Top of the hour. Third hour, that is. The lead NFL insider for CBS, Jonathan Jones. We'll be joining us. A lot to get to with him. So Jonathan Jones, top of our number three. In the final segment, seems like we've been doing a lot of that lately. Guests in the final segment. Worked out great yesterday. Les Snead was awesome. Today, Denver Broncos safety, Justin Simmons. And a quick heads up. Smack off number 28 is June 24th. You are running out of time. All right, so in terms of the program itself, let's get at it. Why don't we start with Game 3 of the NBA Finals, the association. So there were a couple of guarantees to me going into Game 3. A couple of absolute locks. I mean, there are no locks, there are no guarantees, except these. Number one, if you got down on them, you got paid. Even before the game started. For an example, starting with the warm-ups. Because when Golden State came out to shoot, they discovered that the rim on their hoop was too high. 
Like, wow, how weird is that? What a fluke. What a dink! How weird is it that before a critical game in Boston, something would mysteriously go wrong for the visiting team? When has that ever happened? I mean, that is really weird, right? Really strange. Yet, yeah, no, it's not. It's vintage Boston. Weird would be something like that not happening. If there were odds, if DraftKings had odds on a pipe bursting in the Golden State locker room or the air conditioning not working or Golden State's bus getting trapped in the Ted Williams tunnel, I'd have bet the house on that. Because somehow, some way, that stuff always seems to happen in Boston at all the weirdest times to all visiting teams in all sports. It always happens in Boston. So you knew that was coming. If you had bet that, you would have got paid. If there was a prop bet on this next thing, I would have hit that thing so hard. I would have hit that with everything I have. If there was a prop bet on Paul Pierce showing up to that game wearing a Paul Pierce NBA 75 jacket to remind everybody that Paul Pierce got on that top 75 list, I would have bet my children's lives on that. Say hi, accent. Yeah, you knew that was coming. You knew that was coming. There was no doubt Paul Pierce was showing up, and not just showing up, but showing up in his 75 jacket. Turkeys. We've been to turkeys before. There you go. We've been to turkeys before. And when we went to turkeys, I was rocking that 75 jacket. Just as you knew, the bleep you Draymond chants were coming. I would have bet my kids' kids on that. You could set your watch to that. That's what they do. It's Boston. If anything, I'm shocked it took as long as it did for those chants to begin. I would have thought they would have met Green at the airport deplaning the charter and hitting him on the tarmac with it. So those were the three guarantees that you had going to that game. And here was another one that you could take to the bank from the very jump. The Celtics were going to come out aggressive as hell, and they did. And nobody more so than Jalen Brown, who immediately went to work. 17 points, 5 boards, and 3 assists. 17-5-3. Nice game. Really nice game. Except he did all of that in the first quarter. He was everywhere doing everything to everybody. For instance, a three to start the game. Rooney continues to play so well in his postseason. Brown, a three-pointer to start it off. And then another tray less than two minutes later. Robert Williams, offensive board, stripped, ball loose, picked up by Horford. Brown, wide open for three. That's ESPN. Thanks for that. Also, the clear out and the drive halfway through that quarter. And Draymond Green. Their matchup was eventful in game two. Nice crossover. Brown's shot is good. Jalen Brown has got 10 points already. So that's how he came out. Jalen Brown put that team on his back in the first quarter. He is the reason why Boston is in the driver's seat right now. And make no mistake, Boston is in the driver's seat right now. And if you took them before the series, you got to be feeling pretty good about that. I don't need to give you the stats. But here's one anyway, an important stat. The winner of Game 3 
in a 1-1 series goes on to win the finals more than 82% of the time. So Game 3 was massive. Boston obviously knew that, and they came out and they played like that. I'm sure Golden State knew how massive it was, except they didn't play like that. Jason Tatum was great. Marcus Smart was great. Time Lord was incredible. But Brown coming out that way in the first quarter at home got the crowd amped up. That was huge. Because no team has ever needed a good first half more than these Celtics needed a good first half. Because every F-bombing Celtics fan knows one thing about their team. And that's that they suck in the third quarter. And sure enough, they did again last night. They found new ways to suck in the third quarter. Like giving up seven points in 13 seconds thanks to a three, an Al Horford flagrant foul, a free throw, and another three. I mean, it's incredible, right? Every time the Celtics come out, out of intermission, out of halftime, they literally just screw around for 12 minutes. It's like the most amazing thing ever. I feel like the double rainbow guy every single time. Like, whoa. Oh, my God. Oh, oh, they suck again. Oh, dude. I can't believe it. It's amazing. Like, these guys are two wins away from winning an NBA championship. And yet... Every single game in the third quarter, they forget how to play basketball for 12 minutes. It's like they've never even played basketball prior to those 12 minutes. They forget everything about themselves, about their scheme. And yet they have really good coaches. So it's not like they go back into the locker room and have a few randos that are telling them what to do. They have great coaches. They have great players. They've got a great system. Yet, these guys go into halftime, and it's like they get a full, complete memory wipe every single time. We're talking about grown-ass men. We're talking about grown-ass professionals. It's not like we're talking about some AAU team or a high school team or even a college team. These are pros, grown-ass men playing for the ultimate prize. And they simply forget how and why they play basketball for 12 minutes. And they do it almost every single time. And then they snap out of it and they finish. The way Boston played in the first half and the way the Warriors played for nearly all 48 minutes, that should not have been a game last night. And yet it was because the Celtics went brain dead again in the third. As for Golden State, I'm not sure why they came out the way they came out. I don't know how they come out that flat. I'm not sure how or why everything they did to punk the Celtics in Game 2 just vanished in Game 3. They got outworked. They got out-toughed. What I'm saying is they got their asses bullied. They got straight punked. And while I'm saying, I believe it, what I'm saying, I'm saying, but if you don't want to take it from me, take it from a more credible source. I'm telling you they got punked and they got bullied. On the glass, in the paint, everywhere it mattered. Completely out-toughed. But that's just me. Take it from a more credible source. Take it from Draymond Green himself. Draymond, how do you, how do you feel you played? Like how do you feel you played before the question was even completed? He jumped in with like bleep. Draymond, how do you, how do you feel you played? Like 
He did. And they did. And yes, they didn't get too many favors from the refs, but what do you expect? And by the way, it wasn't the refs who limited them to 11 points in the fourth quarter. Boston did that to them. And they did that to themselves. And if that weren't bad enough, if that weren't bad enough for the Warriors, then you had this sequence. Falling away, Tatum. Short. Smart comes up with the ball, but couldn't hold on. Everybody diving on the floor. Curry comes up with it. Horford has it. Smart risses it away. And a foul on Golden State. And Steph Curry is laying down. Not sure if he got hurt as they were diving for loose balls. You see Curry wincing right now. And that foul is on Draymond Green. He is fouled out, much to the delight of this crowd. And it looked like Steph Curry got hurt as Al Hawkins had left leg that he lands on as he dives for the loose ball. To me, that's not dirty. That's just good hustle from everybody. Unfortunately, Curry winds up getting his leg landed on. All right, so pretty self-evident, even if you did not see the video on CBS Sports Network, but that's Al Horford on Steph Curry's ankle and Draymond Green getting his sixth foul, trying to get him off Curry. So one star gets hurt. The other star fouls out in a matter of seconds. Draymond was asked about that afterwards. Yeah, I saw him getting dove on, and um, that was about that. So I picked up my foul, pushing him off of him because he's screaming at the bottom of the pile. So, yeah, it is what it is. I'll take the foul. I'm going to get him off his legs, though. So it's all good. I I get all of that until the last part. It's actually not all good. And if Steph can't go, and we're not sure about his status right now, but if Steph can't go, or if he can go and he's nowhere near full strength, then I'm going to say this series is already over. Even if Steph is near full strength, the Warriors still have some serious issues. With him at or near full strength, they've got a shot. Anything short of that, they're already dead in the water. Now it says here that he will be out there tomorrow night, but know this. Golden State is in deep, and it's got nothing to do with chanting fans, which I'll get to later on, or Draymond doing a podcast, or anything else that people want to talk about. What it has to do, most of all, is the fact that Boston is really good. Boston's great for 75% of the game, 100% of the time. And that's been enough so far to get them a 2-1 series lead, and they're in control. Again, I've got no idea why they only play three quarters a night, but it still may be enough to win them this series, especially if Curry's not right. And the Celtics continue to bully them in the paint and on the glass. And Draymond, you know, it's a big Draymond house, but Draymond is going to have to do a hell of a lot more going forward than he did last night if they're going to have any chance. And he knows that. Like, Dre... I, I appreciate you owning that you played like crap, but owning it is not enough. Fix it. Fix it, stat. Because as important as Steph is, they cannot win with you having games like the one you had last night. And most troubling of all, that's not a one-off for him either. You know, those two-point, three-rebound, six-foul games are not going to get it done. Draymond has to do more. They need more from him. They need Steph to be healthy. And then they still need more support from guys around the two of them. Right now, Boston is in control. 1-800-636-8686. In terms of the fans there chanting, F Draymond, F you Draymond, F you Draymond, not a surprise. And not a surprise that those closest to Draymond, namely his wife, his coach, 
At least one star teammate took offense to that. That's not a surprise. Nor is it a surprise that when they were saying how out of line it was for him to curse in front of kids, that he cursed in front of his own kid. Like <laughs> the most Draymond thing ever. Pretty how do you feel you played? Like, I thought Clay Thompson was awesome when he's like, yeah, yeah, Boston, really classy. F-bombing kids, really classy. Stay classy. And then Draymond gets up there with his kid and lets a four-letter bomb go. I like this series. I like that energy. I like this series, but I like it even better off the floor than I do on the floor. Yeah, I like this energy. All right, so still ahead. In addition to that, and I want to finish my thoughts on that. Steve Kerr was not happy with the F-bombs. Clay was not happy with the F-bombs. Draymond's wife was not happy with the F-bombs. I get that. I understand why you're not happy with it. Just don't tell me you're surprised. And that's not Celtic Jim hashtag half-chowed coming out. Real classy. Good job, Boston. You, you good, Really classy. Good job, Boston. Real classy. Good job, Boston. Look at Clay. Clay is something. Yeah, the, all of that was about as surprising to me as the fact that the rim was too high prior to the game. It's always something in Boston, isn't it? <laughs> the air conditioning, the rim, the tunnel, the cold water. It's always something. What a dink! Step your game up. Trade pros. Whether you specialize in service or new construction, Ferguson knows firsthand how much work goes into a long day on the job which is why we're committed to offering the products and solutions to get every job done right. With over a 1,000 locations, an unmatched selection of specialty products, tools, and supplies, our pro pickup and same or next day delivery, you can trust that doing business with Ferguson will be the easiest part of your hard day's work. Visit ferguson.com to find a counter location near you. All right, so we're now two weeks away. Two weeks and a day from SmackUp 28. So only 10 programs until then. Really nine since I'm not going to be in the box for one of them. Alvy probably won't be in the box for any of them. Which means we are extremely late in the game. But it's not too late to make the field. In fact, now is a perfect time to get up in here. I still have golden tickets. I'm looking right at a fat stack. Come and get one. I'm still taking RSVPs. I'm still waiting for our watch listers to show some brass and shoot their shots. You're all running out of time, though. The hourglass is not empty yet, but you are running out of time. So step the hell up. Impose your will on the jungle. Dictate the situation. Do not be dictated to. It is separation season. More importantly, it is smack-off season. Let me give you somebody who understands that. A guy who has always gotten that. Rick in Buffalo. This dude treats every single call like it's the smack-off. I respect that about him. Let me repeat that. He treats every single call like it's the smack-off. Maybe it's a Buffalo thing. Or maybe it's a Rick in Buffalo thing. But it's definitely a thing. This guy just shows up differently, and he does it every bleeping time he calls. For instance, it wasn't even me who declared the start of Smack Off season this year. It was the dude himself, Rick in Buffalo. Is anyone else as sick of swells in the 1440 as I am? This doughboy won't shut up about the parenting classes he's taken. 
How about this is a rule of thumb, big guy? If you have to take parenting classes, you're not fit to be a friggin' father. But since I'm such a nice guy, Professor Richard will give you a few pointers. When it's hungry, feed it. When it's wet, change it. And when it won't shut up, throw it in the bedroom, go downstairs and crank the goo-goo dolls. Warvick and Nocale getting a welcome to Poundtown sign for his bedroom. Only problem is he shares a bed with his Aunt Betty. War the official start of smack off season. The most wonderful time of the year. Thanks for the vine, Jim. I'm out. That's how you are, SVP. You don't even wait for the official word. You just bust through the wall like you're the Kool-Aid man and start screaming and threatening people. Everybody. This is why there is no other clone like Rick in Buffalo. Nobody sounds like Rick. Nobody runs smack like Rick. Nobody is safe when Rick calls. And I mean nobody. Nobody. Not even Rick's own family members. Especially Rick's own family members. If being old, fat, and stupid... Is all it takes to be a major league ump. I'm going to have my old man wire his resume tomorrow. Three Raptors fans in May turned into three million diehards in June. My skank mother-in-law even went up for the parade. This drunk bitch is going on 70 and still wants to party like it's Woodstock 69. And there's no bigger a-hole Yankee fan out there than my old man. I didn't bring my entire family, just my wife and my girlfriend. Ever since the first time I played catch with my old man, I've had a deep affinity for lovable fat guys. More road rage with the kids in the back seat. It's never too early to teach them not to take crap from anyone. This guy's incredible. And, of course, that was not a one-off. That wasn't just a one-time drive-by on his own family. Rick devoted his entire Smack Off 26 call to the memory of his father, and it is a pretty bleeped-up memory. People keep asking me, Jim, when are we going to get to meet your fat-ass old man? That son of a bitch dropped dead in January, and people say dreams don't come true. I'm not saying I hated my old man. Actually... That's exactly what I'm saying. Hey, Rick, can you bring over a pizza? Hey, Rick, the Twinkie Bowl's getting low. Hey, Rick, I'm out of Slim Jims and Diet Coke. Hey, Pops, can you leave me the hell alone for five friggin' seconds? Warn my fat-ass old man being the chicken wing king post-mortem. That's if they serve chicken wings in hell. Unworked grown men who say their fathers are their best friends. Get some real friends, you friggin' losers. That son of a bitch dropped dead in January. I mean, it sounds borderline insane, but that was actually an incredible tribute. Rick used to listen to the program with his old man, and he knew the best and only way he could honor him on these airwaves after his passing was to go in on him, to go with a roast. And Rick can roast with the very best of them, which is why they call Rick the angriest dude in the jungle. His haters say he only has one gear, rage. But that was smack off 26 to prove that there's a lot more to that guy than just that. 
My man is smart. My man is ruthless. And my dude gets the show, which is exactly how he went from fresh blood to jungle heavyweight faster than the Bills collapsed to Kansas City back in January. Rick took 7th overall in his debut in the main event in 2018. He then came right back to hit the podium the following year with a 2nd place finish. 2nd only to, you guessed it, the BIC, Bradley, in Corona. But do not get it twisted. Even Brad is not safe when Rick calls. I want to wish Brad and Corona the best of luck today. Not on his call, but on trying to convince his kids he's still working from home. As a parent, there's no tougher question than, Daddy, why have all the other fathers gone back to work and you're still sitting on your ass all day? Sorry, Brad, but even your kids know rubbing grandma's bunions and scrubbing the crap stains out of grandpa's underwear isn't called work. It's called being mom's bitch. And a little later today, Bradley, you're going to be my bitch. And trust me. My tidy whiteies ain't no picnic either. War the loud and proud Bills Mafia. Our time is now, my brothers and sisters. War Trapper and Dana Point. Gone but never forgotten. R.I.P. my fat ass old man. Now if I can somehow get my brothers to drop off before my mom bites the dust, things will really be looking good. Thanks for the mind, Jim. Class dismissed, bitches. That was <laughs> that was last year's smack off, meaning the beef between these two is still fresh and it's still raw and it's still real. I'm telling you right now, Rick is a legitimate threat to rip that strip or strap right off of Brad's shoulder. He just needs to make his best call on the biggest day. He has come so close in the past, but. If you have been listening to this guy rage for the last four years, you know that he has got the game and the rage to put it all together and pull it off when it matters most. With all due respect, James Phillip, it ain't smack-off season till Rick in Buffalo says it's smack-off season. John in New York, I love how this loser starts every one of his calls saying the show's so funny. He almost drives his truck right off the road. Hey, John, do us all a favor and finish the job. Your wife will secretly celebrate, and your kids will be a lot better off. Just when I thought Left and Laguna couldn't get any softer, he's all over Twitter saying he's a wine connoisseur. Well, guess what, Left? I'm an a-hole connoisseur, and I sniffed you out pretty quickly. I'm not into weigh-ins. I'm not into banana hammocks. I'm not into glamour shots. And I'm not into empty threats. I'm here for one thing and one thing only. The fight. I may sound like I'm 80, but I got the robustness and bedroom prowess of a 20-year-old. Just ask Vic and no Kale's old lady. She'll be thrilled to tell you all about it. What's wrong, Left? Another writer strike in Southern California, Kyle Brandt. Good morning, football. Are you kidding me, dude? I tell you what I think, but like every other football fan, I've never seen the show. I'm flying so high today, Jim. Not even the sight of Hawk's ugly face can bring me down. Nick's no longer the Broadway Joe guaranteeing Super Bowl wins. He's the drunken idiot throwing himself all over Susie Culber. Fix like the old family dog who you finally got to put down. 
you feel terrible about it. But when all he's doing is running into walls and peeing on the carpet, there's no other choice. You loser. You hack. You fat ass. You sociopath. Come back. God, you're a loser. Fat boy. Don't come get some, you bitches. This dude, so good at talking junk and threatening lives. So let me ask you, is it Rick's year? Can the RIB bring a championship home to Buffalo even before his beloved Bills? Do they both deliver a championship? If you think so, let us know. If not, let us know. Hit us with your pick. Oh, yes. I love that sound. Puts a smile on my face every single time because that is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. What Shopify does is it gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big business. So upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and keep you informed effortlessly. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. Believe me. I know this. I've lived this. I know where we started with this podcast, and I know where we are right now. I love how Shopify has the tools and resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. They're that good. And like our business, Shopify has powered over millions of others from first sale to full scale. You can reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. So, go to shopify.com slash Rome, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Try it for yourself for 14 days. Grow your business with Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash R-O-M-E right now, shopify.com slash Rome. <laughs> We're joined right now by a Golf Channel analyst. He had a 15-year PGA Tour career. He was a three-time All-American in Texas, author of The Anatomy of Greatness. Brando Chambly is my guest. Brando, it's been a moment or two since you and I last spoke. How are you doing? How is your life right now? Uh, you know, it's great. I, I live out in Arizona with my wife, uh, doing a bit of work, obviously, working on another book, taking care of kids, you know, busy, but all good. That sounds great, actually. All right, so let me ask you, it's been quite a week for golf. As Rory McIlroy said, quote, it's a weird time in professional golf, end of quote. Today, the PGA Tour announced that they were suspending all players who are currently participating in Live Golf, and they would do the same in the future for players who join Live Golf. Let me first get your reaction to that announcement. Uh, I don't think there were any surprises in the letter that the PGA Tour released today. I think most people could have anticipated suspensions, although they were indefinite. There was no time frame uh, listed within that letter. I think one of the bigger surprises was that they were heading off the ability of tour players to get what's known as sponsors exemptions into tournaments because some of these players, I think, strategically were resigning from the PGA Tour, which was, I think, serving three purposes from a strategic aspect. It uh, allowed them likely to get into major championships, or they would hope because majors are not run by the PGA Tour, but there is a stipulation in some of them that you'd be in good standing or a member of a PGA Tour or another uh, professional tour. The other would be uh, to maintain their sponsorship deals with equipment companies. I'm sure there's verbiage 
that they are not involved in something that would be deemed conduct unbecoming, uh, and that would be them being suspended from the PGA Tour. And the other is being able to get sponsors exemptions because they're no longer a member of the tour. So that was strategic, and I think that was uh, a bit of a surprise in that letter. But otherwise, there were no real surprises. Uh, we pretty much saw these suspensions coming, Jim. Brad O'Shamley is joining us. I want to respond to some of that and follow up, but I also want to make this point. Well, I want to reiterate a point that you've made that I completely agree with, that Live Golf is not a golf tournament. It's not a golf league per se. It's sports washing. As somebody who loves the game, how do you feel when you see this happening and play out the way it is? Well, first of all, I completely agree with you. Uh, I, I feel like this is one of the saddest days uh, in the history of golf. Uh, and, and I said this earlier uh, on Golf Channel. I said, let's, let's be very clear about what we're watching today. We are not watching a golf tournament. We are watching sports watching. We are not watching the best players in the world play the best golf in the world. I looked at the 48 names that are all teed off today. And if you're a, if you're a casual golf fan, by my estimation, you would know 14 names of the 48. Those 14 players like Sergio Garcia or Dustin Johnson or Graham McDowell, Phil Mickelson, Martin Keimer, Westwood, those 14 players – their average world rank is a little bit over a hundredth in the world. So again, they're not the best players in the world. They have an average age of 40. The average age of the top 10 players in the world is 27. So in no way do they represent the youthful movement of the game. And those players, those 14 players have combined played in 178 events this year. And collectively they have 12 top 10s. Justin Thomas has almost that many top tens on, him, on his own, so does Scotty Scheffler. So if, if this were a horse race, it wouldn't be the Kentucky Derby. This would be like a, a, a claiming race, a $10,000 claiming race. This would be like watching college athletes sprint 100 meters against Usain Bolt. These are not the best players. They're well past their prime. Uh, they're not playing the best golf. So let's be real clear. Uh, what we're watching is sports washing pure and simple. And, and while I'll say this is a very sad day in that we've watched players with, I think, uh, respected legacies and careers uh, and great futures ahead of them as elder statesmen in the game, and we've watched them self-immolate those legacies and careers and futures. But on the other hand, we can clearly identify the players, the superstars in this game, that are not able to be bought. They're not able to. They're not going to trade their reputation for compensation. So Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm, Morikawa, Thomas, Hovland, McElroy, Spieth, uh, and on and on we go. So the bulk of the best players in the world said no to this offer. But you're absolutely right. We're not watching a golf tournament. We're watching sports washing, plain and simple, and it's a very clear case of it. I agree with everything you just said. Brando Chambly is joining us now. You played on tour for 15 years. You have covered this tour for a long, long time. So what do you think when you hear guys say that they are playing in this live golf event because, quote, Brandel, they want to grow the game? Well, I, I think that uh, it's laughable hyperbole. And, and look, they're being paid to sell a lie. That's what they're doing. They're, they're, they're not growing the game in any way, shape, or form. You look at what the PGA Tour is. The PGA Tour's foundation is based upon philanthropy. Its whole business model is based upon philanthropy. Uh, it looks after the players with health benefits, pensions, safety nets, 
uh, it has tours for the beginning, the prime, and the end of their career. Live Golf is based upon pure and simple. Its foundation is greed and sports washing. It has bought these players, and it will treat them like a depreciating asset. They are all expendable, and they will be tossed aside when they have no further use, when their star no longer shines so much that it blinds people such that they can't pay attention or won't pay attention to the atrocities that have been, are now, and will continue uh, to occur as long as MBS is, is the leader of Saudi Arabia. Uh, it's, uh, you know, again, it's, it's laughable to hear these players uh, say, and if you've been watching these press conferences the last couple of weeks or the last couple of days, the players are wiggling up there. They're squirming. They can't quite find the words. They're looking for the live presenters to interrupt the journalists who are rightly asking difficult questions. It's as if they've never even thought about answers to these questions, or I think more accurately, they know that they're sitting on a stage. They know they're selling a lie, and it's very difficult to set up and try to tell a lie when you know that everybody watching knows the truth. And so they're squirming. They can't quite find the right words, so they default to the platitude that they're growing the game. When everybody else, everybody watching this knows they're growing their, their bank account, but they're really destroying the game while they destroy their careers. So having said that, how do these particular guys sleep at night, or is it just that they're sleeping on a big, soft pile of cash? Well, they, you know, look, you have to have a clear head to play this game well. So judging by the, the success of these players that have been entertaining the idea of playing live golf, like Sergio Garcia, right? His world rank has, has fallen. He's played 10 events this year, one top 10. Graham McDowell, 14 events this year, zero top 10, seven missed cuts. Phil Mickelson, four events, zero top tens, two missed cuts. Uh, Lee Westwood, 11 events, zero top tens, six missed cuts. Hudson Swafford, 21 events, 10 missed cuts. Charles Schwartzel, 16 events, seven missed cuts. So you look through this list of what they would call their star players for this league, and they mostly have, you know, as half, you know, half the events they've played, they've missed a cut. So clearly they're not sleeping very well. Clearly, their head's not in the right place to play the best golf. That's why, as this event unfolds today, if you're watching it, it's it's laughable that this represents the best in golf. Clearly, it doesn't. But if you if you think about or listen to what they're calling the team aspect, you know they have 12 different teams in this, and they go by names like Fireballs and the Majestics. It, it literally sounds like a third-rate traveling circus promoter or a third grader has been in charge of naming these teams. The Fireballs versus the Majestics is hardly the same thing as the USA versus Europe in the Ryder Cup or the USA versus the Internationals. The people who've put this tour together, they have misconstrued the popularity of team events, which have a national passion backing them, versus team events where there is no such national passion backing them. It's nebulous and ridiculous that there is any passion following or found uh, providing a foundation for these teams. They think these team events are going to be interesting and they, they will be laughable as is this whole, um, this whole event, 54 whole events, uh, shotgun starts. These things are used to be called and still are barbecue events when you have a shotgun start because they don't really care about the integrity of the golf course, how it's laid out, 
right? The difficulty that you might face at the first hole and how as the day mounts and the tension mounts, you're meant to play a golf course sequentially. That's why on Saturdays and Sundays, they tee off on the first hole, not the 12th hole. They don't have shotgun starts. So there's all kinds of laughable, amateurish aspects of this event. What's not amateurish uh, is the money that they're throwing at it. Brandon, one last thought. Brandon Chambly joining us. In terms of the money they're throwing at it, there is also a misnomer here, right? Like Greg Norman and Phil Mickelson have made comments along the lines that the best golfers are not compensated properly. But as you've said, the four highest-earning athletes of all time are Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, Arnold Palmer, and Jack Nicholas. If you go down that list a little bit further, Mickelson is 11th. He's ahead of Kobe. Norman is ahead of Kevin Durant. So how do you square the comments from Phil and Greg with reality? Can you? Can they? No, look, they're lying, and they know it. They know that golfers are not only fairly compensated. You could argue that they have been historically overcompensated when you consider the relatively small number of people that participate in the game, that watch the game, and the very, compared to other sports, low rating on television of the, of, the, of the sport. The reason golfers are paid so highly is because corporate America wants to align with the values and the integrity of athletes. It's a self-policing sport. It's a self-governing sport. Players call uh, uh, rules and fractions on themselves, and generally speaking, they've been pretty humble and their careers last a long, long time. That's why Phil Mickelson makes more than Kobe Bryant, has made more than Kobe Bryant, has made more than David Beckham. They enjoy sports, David Beckham. There is no more popular sport maybe in the world than, than soccer. And tell me soccer stars other than Ronaldo, who's maybe more uh, popular or well-known than Beckham. And yet Phil Mickelson, who was never the number one player in the world, never had the lowest scoring average, never led the money list on the PGA Tour, has had this enormous windfall of profits, and yet they want to say that golfers are not fairly compensated. They sound to me like, like communists trying to tell us what a loaf of bread should cost rather than the market. And then they're also acting as if this is a, an example of a free market. Nothing about this is the free market. This is a manipulated market, more an economy of corruption that is underpinning this operation. It's not based upon profit. They're paying Phil Mickelson, a a 51-year-old golfer, $200 million to compete when his best golf is way, way, way in his past. This would be like buying a 25-year-old Seabiscuit for $200 million and expecting it to compete in the Kentucky Derby and then passing that off as the best in sports. I love, love these horse racing analogies. That is perfect. One last thought then, and not to get greedy with your time, Randall, but if the majors were to join the PGA and say the players who participate in live golf are not allowed to play in majors, what kind of an impact would that have? Well, look, that's why I talked about they're going to be depreciating assets because this event doesn't have world rankings, right? So they're competing in these events. They can't compete in PGA Tour events. So they're going to lose their world rankings. They're going to be, I think, there'll be two or three of the major championships that will ban these players from competing. So as their world ranking, world rankings, it's, it's currency. It, it opens every door in the game of golf. The whole game of professional golf is based upon the foundation, really, of world rankings, which gets you into majors. So as their world ranks fall, they're no longer in these major championships anyway. Even if they could get in, they're not going to be in the top 50. They'll have no qualifying aspects. 
So they will cease being of value. The only, if you are being optimistic as you can be, the only value in this sports washing is that some people will be fooled to thinking that they're actually watching great golf and great golfers. They're not. They're clearly not. By any measure, they're clearly not. But if people are fooled into it, but as they shuffle down in age and accomplishment and world ranks, when you tune in and you're, you, you know, you're watching you know, clearly uh, inferior golf and inferior golfers, whatever value these Saudis think they have here will be laughed at, and it will no longer serve the purpose of sports washing. He is a Golf Channel analyst, a 15-year PGA Tour pro. Three-time All-American in Texas. He has already written the book, The Anatomy of Greatness. He is working on another book as we speak. Brandel Chambly joining us. Brandel, that was awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time. I appreciate the insight. Thanks for breaking that down. It's always good to have you on this show. Uh, thanks for having me, Jim. It's always a pleasure. That was nice. I appreciate that very much. And by nice, I mean that was a really good insight and really good content. So if you want to react to it, you go right ahead. 1-800-636-8686. I love that I'm getting reaction to an interview before the interview is even over. Rome, can you give Brando Chambly a golden ticket? Dude was running some first-rate smack on the live tour. Can you imagine if he put the clones in his crosshairs? Cold-blooded. Holy crap. Marshall in Orlando. Marsh, I think that the clones would be very low-hanging fruit for Brandle. I think he has better things to do. So, no, I'm not going to offer him a golden ticket. He is above the process. Not that anybody's above the smack-off, but he it would be an unfair fight for one thing, and I think he's not interested in that low-hanging fruit. Imagine my guy Brandle, as sharp as he is, coming in and taking a run at Matt in L.A. or I-Ray. Yeah, I don't think. I think we're going to let him do what he does best. Talk about important matters and provide insight. Good stuff. Boomtown Rat at Hondo317 tweets, calling my shot. Rick in Buffalo for the win. He will be crowned the king of smack. Hey, Hondo, I appreciate that. Get your phone, turn it sideways, turn it into a 15-second prediction, send it here, and we will put you on the air and put you on TV. Sarah is in at Saltier 2022. I'm surprised the police didn't show up at my office while I was listening to at Rick and Buffalo smack off profile. Hashtag abusive shouting. War lady hey, I said it myself. Nobody talks more smack or threatens more lives, including the lives of his own family members. I mean, he's he's actually rooting for them to die. He's rooting for family members to drop. At Ryan May 1010, we think Rick in Buffalo is very original and in no way a cheap carbon copy of Jeff in Richmond. Sincerely, Mr. Pib, Hydrox Cookies, and Vanilla Ice's explanation of the difference between Ice Ice Baby and Under Pressure. I don't agree with the take at all, but I love this sincerely. Mr. Pib, Hydrox Cookies, and Vanilla Ice's explanation of the difference between Ice Ice Baby and Under Pressure. The thing about all that is, I don't really have an issue with any of those three things. And in fact, I really like Vanilla Ice. 
I've said it before. When we had him on Radio Row one year, that was one of my favorite interviews. He was awesome. This dude just showed up in such a great way. And you got to admit, his explanation of the difference between those two songs is priceless. It's so good. It's like, oh, well, why didn't you say so? Of course. Now I get it. Good stuff. All right, when we come back, and still lots of, hey, Rome, your career is hanging on by a thread. If you put that dog on one more time, you will have no show. Now, you know, if I listened to half of you, I would have no show. You know what's funny about this? James Kelly makes a good point. When Rid is on the board, I just float these breaks out as far as I want. When Alvy's here, it's like, dude, dude, no. Dude, dude, no. You know what, Alvin? I don't miss you, bro. Wherever you are, take your time. In fact, Fine. never come back. Ritz got it under control. Thank you. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake or eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender, and it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. I mean, who wants dried-out, tough beef in a bag? No one. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old Fashioned is sweetened with a touch of brown sugar goodness, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy for those of you who like to take things up a notch. Next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper with your beef. The lead NFL insider for CBS. He is part of the NFL Today starting this season. Additionally, he is going to provide reporting and analysis for CBS Sports HQ, CBS Sports Podcast, CBSSports.com, and CBS Sports Network. He is Jonathan Jones. Jonathan, it is great to have you on the show. Jonathan, how are you? I'm doing well. I appreciate the introduction. I'm happy to be back on with you. My guy, good to have you back on. So listen, there is a lot to talk about around the league, and I know you do not want to make it about yourself, but in terms of that introduction, it was announced that you are the lead NFL insider for CBS, which means you are going to be a part of the NFL today starting this fall. Congratulations on this great new gig. How does it feel, and how much are you looking forward to all of this? Yeah, well, thank you, and it's it's just a blessing, really, and I'm I'm so grateful and and humbled and honored and all those words. Uh, you know, yesterday when it was announced, I was expecting, you know, uh, friends and loved ones to reach out, but really the the outpouring of support uh, that I got from so many folks uh, in this industry and outside of this industry was immense, almost overwhelming, I might say. Uh, but I'm excited to be with this crew, these guys, uh, the, the folks behind the scenes as well. So very, very excited to get started. Good for you and well-earned. Jonathan Jones joining us. Listen, before we get to football, I know that you were in the Garden last night for Game 3 of the Finals. What was the atmosphere like in the building? Well, uh, you, could, you could hear some of the atmosphere on television, I believe. Uh, Clay Thompson had some things to, to think about the atmosphere. Listen, I'm, I'm not a Bostonian. I happen to, to live up here. Uh, but but things are a bit different up here uh, when it comes to fandom. But the energy, I've been going to games all season, and, um, you know, the, the energy here is just so, so different. 
than really any other uh, NBA team or arena that I've been to. And last night, it, it was a hot garden, you know, back like the old days. Uh, and I'm so glad that we're getting competitive NBA Finals games. So I think the Seas are going to do it. Maybe in five, but I'll give him six. But the Celtics will win the final. Jonathan Jones is joining us. All right, in terms of football, the Rams announced yesterday they agreed to an extension with Cooper Cup. What are your thoughts on that deal and how Cup approached it? Yeah, you know, Cooper Cup uh, and his representation had, had long told the Rams, listen, we don't need to be uh, the highest paid wide receiver in NFL history. Now he got plenty of guaranteed money. Uh, and, and they wanted some sort of mile markers, if you will, that they could say, hey, uh, this is coming off. Um, arguably, I think it is the greatest receiving season in NFL history. And then when you look what he did in the postseason, how he got better uh, in each successive game, uh, he he was due this money. And so I know that there were some fans out there who thought, OK, well, this must have gotten done. Uh, because the Aaron Donald deal got done. No, both of these were always going to get done. About five seconds after uh, that, that Joe Burrow pass fell incomplete uh, in the Super Bowl there on fourth down. So um, Cooper is, <laughs> is a fantastic guy. And listen, he understands that uh, he wants to be with the Rams. He doesn't want to go chase that money. He wants rings, and that's the, the, the sort of give and take that he and his representation decided on. Uh, and you have to respect it. Jonathan Jones is joining us. Jonathan, so from a team standpoint, what do you make of this? For instance, they had been busy with the Aaron Donald extension. To your point, they knew that as soon as that game ended, they would take care of these guys. But how do they take care of these guys? For instance, how do you make or what do you make of how they've gone about taking care of their business and making it somehow all work underneath the cap? Yeah, well, that, that the cap is is. A, certainly interesting. I know that some folks say the cap is a myth. I know some folks say the cap is real. Uh, the cap can be finagled, uh, and the Rams have certainly done that. You have to have ownership who is willing to give a, a ton of money in signing bonus and upfront to guys and also be able to put that money in escrow, right? They have to uh, be liquid enough in order to do that when they hand out these big contracts. You also have to be comfortable and confident in your scouting staff because you're not going to have first-round picks, right? You said, we don't need those first-round picks. We need Jalen Ramsey and we need Matthew Stafford. All right, well, that fourth-rounder who on a number of teams, that would be your backup safety who's contributing on special teams in his rookie year. No, that guy may have to start once you get to week seven uh, because of how you've decided to construct your team. So, you know, it's it's thin margins. Uh, but when you have so many blue-chip players like they do – they very well understand at every level of the defense, they have a guy who will be a Hall of Famer. And really, I think the only team in the NFL that can say that. We're talking to Jonathan Jones. All right, so one more thought about the Rams. I did have Les Snead on the show yesterday, and he did seem very interested in bringing Odell Beckham Jr. back as well. Could you see that happening? Absolutely. I mean, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. is a, uh, a new father. He has the, the home there in Southern California. Things went very well, obviously, for him with the Rams. It's familiar. Uh, he's going to be able to continue rehabbing his ACL in familiar uh, territory. So it would make a lot of sense for him personally. Uh, but also, hey, if he can recover uh, and wants to choose his spot, you know, I wouldn't mind catching passes from Aaron Rodgers, who could certainly use him as well. So I would have the Rams at one, and I would have the Packers at 1A. We're talking to Jonathan Jones for a few more moments. Jonathan, new topic. The New York Times reported that the Houston Texans used their resources 
to help Deshaun Watson's massage habit. In addition to that, we saw the 24th lawsuit was filed against him. There were some extremely graphic details. That New York Times piece from Jenny Vrentis had some things that were pretty unbelievable. Overall, what were your reactions to everything that's come out this week regarding that story? Yeah, well, Jenny is a fantastic reporter and a a very close friend of mine, and and she did an incredible job like she has been for the past uh, year and a half plus on this story. You know, as someone who has read each civil lawsuit as they have been filed, um, these these details in the 23rd and the 24th lawsuits are uh, certainly very graphic. The allegations certainly very disturbing. Uh, however, they are not dissimilar to the majority of what I and others have read uh, and heard through interviews uh, in the other 22 lawsuits. And so um, there was nothing necessarily even eye-opening about the number of masseuses being at 66 because we knew that number was even over 40 you know I've, i guess and it's it's difficult to say jim but like, you know I, we have become if you've paid enough attention to this the details and the allegations all of which are disturbing i i've gotten used to what they are if that sort of makes sense and so i think some folks who haven't been paying as much attention when all of these details are sort of coupled uh, into uh, one full story and not in separate lawsuits that you need to log in to get into and read, it really opens up a lot of people's eyes. And so I think that's what we have seen this weekend. And certainly uh, this idea that the Houston Texans security director furnished an NDA for Deshaun Watson, allegedly. I mean, that is I've never heard of anything like that. I've talked with sources around the league the past couple of days about that. Never heard anything like that. As far as the Houston Texans uh, helping him secure uh, a massage area and a hotel, you know, teams do and offer plenty of perks for plenty of star players. But even that, I was talking with a source earlier today, they said, yeah, even that is not something that I think that we, uh, speaking about that their team, that we would even do. So th- those details were um, incredible to read, and obviously the NFL is going to have to uh, fully investigate what the Houston Texans knew and when they knew it. Jonathan Jones joining us. So one last thought. What about the Browns? I mean, we can go a number of different ways with that, but what about as it relates to Baker Mayfield, Jonathan? So where does that leave Cleveland and Baker Mayfield? Because they did excuse him from mandatory minicamp. What do you make of the way they have handled that, and where do things stand with Mayfield? Yeah, I think it's been difficult for um, the Cleveland Browns of their own making, right? Once they got into the Deshaun, Watson, if you want to call it sweepstakes, they knew that they were going to potentially alienate Baker Mayfield. Once they got Deshaun Watson, they knew Baker Mayfield was out of there. And, and Baker knows that he's done there. There is no, there's this fantasy that folks think, well, hey, if Deshaun is suspended for half of a season or a full season, uh, that maybe the Browns can reconcile with Baker Mayfield. No, that ship has sailed, and it sailed long ago. So now, what do the Browns need to do? They are posturing as though they can hold on to Mayfield throughout training camp, and then when an unfortunate injury happens to a team starter, they could then trade Mayfield. I don't think that they really want to wait that long because while they can excuse him from mandatory minicamp, he still has to report to training camp. He, he would still have to be in the building, uh, as, as I understand it, as it's written in the CBA. So I don't think they want it to drag on that far. The Carolina Panthers are a very interested party, but they will not pay his $18.85 million. David Tepper, the owner of the Panthers, will not pay half of that. And so I'm about to write for CBSSports.com. Maybe Baker Mayfield, if he really wants out of Cleveland, if Cleveland wants to rid themselves of Baker Mayfield, and if the Carolina Panthers want to bring on Baker Mayfield, 
he may have to take a pay cut. He may have to say, I know I have almost $19 million in guaranteed money. Let me take it down to 12 or 13. The Browns pay a majority of that. The Panthers kick in five or six, and he has the leg up on Sam Darnold to be the week one starter in Carolina. Interesting. One last thought. You, the Patriots and Mac Jones were interesting in the sense that he's been getting rave reviews. That you, though, were at camp earlier this week. What did you make of Mac Jones, and how did he look to you? He looked great. Uh, you know, he, you could tell uh, that his body was different. Uh, he was throwing some really good seam balls to running backs. Um, you know, I, listen, as good as he looked, I still don't know what this offensive system is ultimately going to be. Right. They're changing the terminology there. You don't really know uh, if Joe Judge or Matt Patricia or both of them or some conglomeration will be calling all of the plays. So uh, there's a lot to be determined. But in that minicamp practice, Matt Jones looked like a very solid year two starter. Jonathan, finally, as a follow, what did you think? I mean, was Patricia doing most of the talking to the quarterbacks? How do you think that plays out? You know, I wouldn't at all be surprised if, if Bill Belichick is the, <laughs> is the offensive coordinator because the guy, he can do it. Um, Matt Patricia was relaying and speaking more to the quarterbacks than I was anticipating uh, heading into to training or to minicamp. We had sort of heard that. Joe Judge had been working more with the quarterbacks, and he still was, but Patricia was more involved. And just a, a few minutes ago, the, the Patriots said, hey, we're canceling next week's OTAs. We'll see you guys at training camp. An interesting thing with this new staff, with this new terminology, with a team that needs to take another step this upcoming season, they say, you know what, we don't need more practice. That, that does not seem like the Patriot way at all. That is interesting. He is the lead NFL insider for CBS, part of the NFL Today starting this season. And as a reminder, Jonathan Jones is going to provide reporting and analysis for CBS Sports HQ, CBS Sports Podcast, CBSSports.com, and CBS Sports Network. Jonathan, once again, congratulations to you. Great to have you back, and I know we'll do it again soon. I appreciate you, man. Appreciate you very much. Congrats, Jonathan. Jonathan Jones joining us on the program. <laughs> Trade pros. Whether you specialize in service or new construction, Ferguson knows firsthand how much work goes into a long day on the job, which is why we're committed to offering the products and solutions to get every job done right. With over a 1,000 locations, an unmatched selection of specialty products, tools, and supplies, our pro pickup and same or next day delivery, you can trust that doing business with Ferguson will be the easiest part of your hard day's work. Visit ferguson.com to find a counter location near you. So yesterday, I led the show by saying the Angels are on one. And by on one, I meant one of the most devastating losing streaks ever. And the Halos are still streaking because they lost again last night. That's now 14 straight. 14 in a row. More than two full weeks of nothing but big, fat L's. As an example, Philadelphia kept Joe Girardi. And then suddenly, they're a juggernaut. It worked. The Angels run Joe Madden's ass, and absolutely nothing has changed. They still can't win. They still can't even score a run. The only thing that changed is their walk-up music. That's the brilliant shake-up solution that they came up with in the Angel Clubhouse. And if that does not sound dumb enough on face value, give it about 30 seconds. It's about to get even dumber. Orders of magnitude, dumber. It's about to get so dumb up in here, it's hard to believe how dumb it is. But it's real. It is real. 
Let me just read this tweet by ESPN MLB reporter Alden Gonzalez while I try to keep my head from shooting off my neck and leaving the atmosphere altogether. Gonzalez tweeted, quote, People, I can report that every Angels player will walk up to Nickelback tonight. The coaches decided it as a way to shake things up. So, if the Angels snap their losing streak tonight, you can thank Nickelback. End quote. In the biggest shock of all time, nobody is thanking Nickelback this morning. Because nobody is ever thanking Nickelback for anything. We're all just trying to navigate life without ever having to hear or think about Nickelback at all. All of us. All of us except the Angels. I mean, seriously. The hell is that? No, really. The bleep is that. Do I even need to call this the worst idea ever? I mean, we don't all agree on anything. But I think every single person listening right now, not named Tiger Woods or the Angel Coaches, can agree that this is one of the dumbest things that have ever happened in Major League Baseball. Like, you guys were already torturing your fans on the nightly for every single at-bat at the Big A. You don't need to add additional torture in between A-Bs. Going to the stadium right now is just asking to walk out with your eyes bleeding your ears bleeding, and your head ready to explode. Like, that would have been the lamest stunt ever pulled by a Little League team. Even the most over-the-top, dumbest minor league promotion would never have thought to do that. The fact that that happened in the major leagues, that that's an actual thing that happened in the bigs, makes me want to blow chunks All over the studio, much like my kids threw up all over the big screen when I took them to see Space Jam 2. It kind of actually feels like a Joe Madden move, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds like something Joe Madden would do. But you can't blame Joe. He already got kicked to the curb. And if you want to blame Phil Nevin, you can't really blame him either. Because apparently it was the brainchild or the mastermind of the quality assurance coach. The quality assurance coach reportedly came up with that. Can I repeat those words once again? Quality assurance coach. Listen, I have never been that guy to take food off somebody else's plate. I have never been that guy to call for somebody else's head. I don't mess with other people's livelihoods. I'm not built like that. I don't. It's not what I'm about. But, but, but I might make an allowance in this case. How can you be a quality assurance coach with absolutely no concept of quality? Like, my dude, you're precisely the one that is supposed to shut down a horrendous idea like this. Not come up with it. You're the guy in the room that's supposed to say, no, 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 not on my watch. You have to fight me, literally fight me for that to happen. Not only will I quit if you do that, you're going to get them hands if anybody tries that. 
That's not what he did. He came up with the idea. This dude seriously made Shohei Otani walk out to this. Look at this photograph. Every time I do, it makes me laugh. Who could possibly blame Shohei if he wants out? Turn that off right, right now. Who could possibly blame Shohei if he wanted the hell out of this dumpster fire today? Hearing this freaking garbage, I want out. Not even out of the dumpster fire. Like, I want out of life. I want to die. And right now would be the perfect time. Shohei. He's got to be looking around like, the hell is going on around here? I mean, what are we doing? What the hell am I even doing here? Shohei is the only guy who skates on this. We all know it wasn't his idea. And while he might not be in that rare MVP form, at least he shows up every single day and plays every single day. My man plays two ways. He's always available. Definitely not looking at either of you, Trout or Rendon. A.K.A. the two dudes pulling 70 mil between them this season. Yo, bros. I promise they are not cutting you those fat checks so you can sit and watch from the dugout, but I get it. Injuries happen. Shohei, on the other hand, is going to take the ball again tonight because, of course, he is. And everybody knows the only way the blood gush is going to stop is if he throws a gem and he hits a couple of bombs, too. And even that might not be enough to stop the bleeding because now the blood is spewing from ears and eyes. They walked everybody up to Nickelback in a major league game and thought that would snap their losing streak. Gotta be kidding me. Ted Albany writes, Nickelback is how the Angels remind themselves what they really are. Ass. They know they're ass. They can count to 13. They know they're ass. How, one, how did anybody ever think that was a good idea? And two, how did anybody go along with that idea? Much less everybody who picked up a bat. There wasn't one person in that clubhouse who said, are you effing kidding me? This is the worst idea ever. We will be clowned harder than anybody ever has for anything in the history of the world. The the stadium DJ, the rally monkey, the owner, Roger Lodge, anybody who's got anything to do with the Angels. Or anybody who's got anything to do with life. Or anybody who has a set of ears. Adam Silver, I'm looking at you. How the hell did that happen? Oh, and what do you know? It didn't work. It didn't work. That's your idea of a slump buster. Walking everybody up to Nickelback. Worst idea ever. Hey, Rit, I know this is what you bump when you're not here. Go be the bat boy, old man, for the angels. My ears are bleeding. 
Look at Rit. All right, all right, I got it, Rit. You made your point badly, as always. What I want to say it's the biggest troll job ever, right? Like, there's nobody, there's no way anybody thought that was a good idea. Major leaguers agreed to that. Oh, I'll walk. Good idea. I'll walk up to Nickelback. Can you imagine? I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe one moronic clone would do that for the smack off, thinking it was funny. But actual major leaguers, incredible. When we come back, this is why they're the Angels right now. One last segment. As promised, we are joined right now by a two-time All-Pro. He is a safety for the Denver Broncos. He is a Pro Bowl selection coming off a year where he had 80 tackles, four for a loss, 12 passes defensed. He had five INTs, three-time winner of the Darren Williams Good Guy Award, three-time Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee. He was the 98th pick overall in 2016 out of Boston College, and Denver is going to open up against Seattle September 12th. Justin Simmons is my guest. Justin, it's been a few months since you and I last spoke. How you doing? How's your life right about now? Yeah, what's going on, Jim? Uh, first, I, I want to apologize. I know last week I was supposed to be on. I had terrible connection in the facility, so I apologize to you. Dude, and, not at all, dude. The show, but not at thank all. you so much for, for having me. And uh, yeah, I'm September 12th can't come fast enough, man. I can't can't wait to get the season started. Yeah, I appreciate you. No, you had no apology necessary. I get that. Justin Simmons joining us. All right, so I had Kareem Jackson on the show a few weeks back, and we were talking about the partnership and the relationship the two of you have. How would you describe that relationship, and what's it like to play alongside him? Man, I would, I would describe the relationship as uh, seamless. You know, I think, uh, I think Kareem... The thing that I've appreciated the most out of Kareem, um, you know, selfishly for me in my career is how knowledgeable he is of the game and, you know, playing at corner, playing at nickel. And then there's already so much you have to see when you're that much closer to the line of scrimmage. And so now that he's playing safety, he can diagnose and and see the bigger picture that the offense is presenting um, almost every snap. And so our communication uh, is essential, you know, every single play. And he's helped me so much in my growth and, and knowledge and understanding of offensive schemes and how they're attacking the defensive scheme that we're in and things like that. So uh, Kareem's just been a, a huge blessing in my life, obviously on the field, but off the field as well. So, man, I can't can't say enough good things about him. That's my brother. That is super praise. Justin Simmons joining us. And then on top of that, the two of you are going to play with Patrick Sertan the second. I know you were impressed by what you saw from him as a rookie. I'm blown away by this guy. What is the ceiling like for him in your mind going forward? Oh, uh, yeah. I don't even know. I, I don't even know if I can put, you know, like put a cap on the type of player that he can be. I mean, we're talking about multiple all pros, multiple pro bowls. And I mean, his, his career is just going to keep elevating over and over. He's just, he's so consistent. He has such great technique and he's so, he's such a big physical corner with just great feet, great instincts. He has great awareness. Uh, he, he's, he's just a, he's a, Man, I'm lucky to get to play with them. You know, everyone talks about, you know, the, the guys that you get to play with throughout your career and how they were special. And uh, I'm, I'm catching him in the early stages of his career, but 
already know he's going to be a special player in this league for, for as long as he wants to play. We're talking to Justin Simmons. You know, you're, of course, in the AFC West, a division that is absolutely loaded with extremely talented offenses. So I'm curious, what are your early thoughts when you think about going up against the likes of Kansas City, L.A., and Vegas? Yeah, man, I'm excited. I'm excited. I think, you know, I think you win the West, you got a good chance to kind of, you know, push this, this uh, postseason and a chance to, to play for the big game. Um, and so the, the division's absolutely insane. All the additions that, I mean, each team has made, you know, just in this offseason has been crazy. You know, Chargers loading up on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, the, the Raiders, you know, with, with Adams and a few other key players. Uh, it's, just, it's just ridiculous. And then, obviously, you know, we got Russ. And so those, those AFC West games are going to be uh, – they're going to be – even bigger, you know, each and every time one of these teams match up, it's, you know, chance to win the AFC West. Like I said, you know, you're, you're putting yourself in prime position to, to go to the big game down the road. So in addition to that, you and I spoke before the Super Bowl. We talked about how badly you want to win in Denver. This is a given. Then Russell Wilson arrives in the offseason trade. What message did that trade send everybody in that locker room about the team's goals for this year and winning right now? Oh, that's exactly it. You know, the goal is the goal is win one. You know, it's it's Super Bowl or bust mentality. Uh, you, you know, we got we got everything that we need. We got a great defense. We got a great young nucleus on offense, led by a Hall of Fame quarterback. I'm, I man, it's going to be a heck of the season. Um, you know, all the all the high praise and all the expectations. Like no one has bigger expectations than us, and so I'm just excited for the season. I'm excited for for the ups and downs and the growth and excited to get to the postseason man once you get to the postseason you know you just take it one week at a time um so i'm excited for that i'm excited for the afc west games it's going to be a great year man i'm I'm really looking forward like i said september 12th can't come fast enough for that first game against seattle i feel it justin simmons joining us so what about russ like what have you seen from him so far in workouts what does he mean to the offense and the entire team oh everything and that's i mean what that's been and we've practiced now for maybe just under a month, maybe a month. Um, and I've, I've already seen all I need to see to know that he means everything to the team, to the organization. And it's crazy the type of impact, you know, a guy can have and that quick of a turnaround. And I think it's multiple layers to that, right? Obviously the respect that he has for his peers and his colleagues all around the league is just unbelievable. You, you know, he comes in and not not only does he, you know, does he back it up, his talk with walking the walk? But, I mean, he comes in here and he works every single day, meticulous in his detail, preparation, uh, out there on the field, the way that he can dissect the defense, move the safeties with his eyes, obviously create plays, um, you know, create plays with his legs when, when knowing the play, first three seconds of a play isn't there. And so Russ is, Russ is, a, Russ is big time, man. I'm never, I don't think I've been around a player that, that puts as much detail or work in the game as Russ. And so I'm excited to go to war with them, you know, this year and, and make something happen. I think it's really interesting what you just said, Justin. For instance, like when Tom Brady got to Tampa Bay, there was so much talk about how, I mean, obviously he's got the pedigree and he's got the championships, but it's the way he approaches his job, right? That attention to detail, his preparation, that he's so committed and he's so all in that it was able to impact the entire culture of the entire building itself. Does Russ have that similar kind of effect? Oh, yeah, I would, I would a hundred percent say yes. I, Obviously, you know, I have friends that play over at Tampa, a few teammates, uh, former teammates that I know that have been in the building when, when uh, Tom's there. And 
um, it, it sounds just so similar to what Russ is doing. You know, I think the ability that he does to take charge of the team, you know, I never see any of the offensive guys uh, in the locker room, you know, for the most part. They're, they're meeting, they're doing walkthroughs, they're doing, uh, you know, routes on air, you know, if they can. Um, they're just always, there's always something that they can do and Russ is leading the charge. Like all of that is Russ-led. And uh, it's just crazy being a part because I've, I've never really seen that, you know, from a player's perspective, a, 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 a player-led team in that sense. And so, uh, like I said, the, the, the meticulous preparation and his detail is just unlike anything I've ever seen. And I, I can't wait. I can't wait for everyone to see it, you know, when we start playing games. Justin Simmons joins me for a few more moments. You know, the, the attention in the league mostly goes to quarterbacks, or so it seems. As somebody who plays defense, like when you see that, I mean, there are a lot of great quarterbacks making a lot of money, but at the end of the day, does defense still actually win championships? I, I 100% believe so. I think I think that's, that's proof in the pudding. I think the Niners and the Rams, and I can kind of go down the, the, the playoff pedigree of the teams that were there. <clears throat> I think, I think you, you see that consistently in, in great teams. Now, obviously those teams as well would have pretty good and solid offenses, and they make you know, big explosive plays and things like that. But defense wins championships. I think we saw that you know, kind of like on that last play, uh, you know, the Rams versus the Bengals and, and Aaron Donald came up with that, you know, that sack on, you know, what it was third and short or whatever it may be. Um, so I'm, I'm a firm and obviously, you know, I might be a little biased from a defensive guy, but I'm a firm believer, man, you go as far as the defense takes you, um, you know, offense puts, uh, fans in the, in the stands and, and defense wins championships. And so if you want to be a team that, that kind of prolongs and, and, and heads to the big game down there in the road, you're going to have to have a great defense that is connecting on all cylinders. All right, so I know, before I let you go, I know you have tremendous gratitude for where you are in life, both on and off the field. You're hosting a football camp on June 26th in Stewart, Florida. Justin, like, how do you approach that? Do you feel like this is your responsibility, if not, if not obligation? Or is it something you really want to do, or is it both those things? Yeah, it, it's really both. And it's honestly, it's leaning more towards something that I just really want to do, you know, I, but it's also, I feel in my heart of hearts, it is my obligation. You know, I'm, I'm, I come from um, a hometown, I'm sure like a lot of other guys around the league where, you know, just success in terms of sports is uh, not always looked at as a positive, you know, you should kind of focus on bigger and better things. And, you know, I want to make sure that I'm always going back to my community and uh, being present, you know, being present for those kids and maybe bringing some teammates with me to say, like, hey, you know, this is possible for you guys. And uh, this is tangible. You can see this. You can you can touch this. You can feel this. And always just being a, a light, you know. And I think anytime you could be a positive light in, uh, in one kid's life, that's the difference maker right there. And that's always the goal, you know, every single camp or event or things like that. So I appreciate the um, you know, the the connection and the shout-out for, for the camp. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a great time. Yeah, I appreciate you doing it. And then a quick follow-up. Like, you want to be a light for them. Is there a transfer of energy in that? Are they a light to you? Do you get as much out of them as they get out of you? Oh, I, I most certainly do. I most certainly do. I think it's cool when I go back home and um, got a lot of family members at home and, you know, uh, I'll, I'll come up and they'll be at, you know, we'll be at a different events locally at at out of my hometown and they'll be like, Hey, this is my cousin. He's telling his friends or, um, and that, that, that type of stuff for me is, is, is heartwarming. You know, that there are some kids, 
um, out there, you know, especially in my hometown that look up to me. And that, that motivates me to want to do the right things. That motivates me to want to be better, you know, both on and off the field, because I know I have young individuals that are looking up to me and I want to make sure I'm being a good example um, and whatever that may be. So it really does, man. It really does. It drives me. It pushes me. And um, I'm just super thankful and blessed, you know, for this, this stage of my life and career. This is why he is a three-time Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee, a three-time winner of the Darren Williams Good Guy Award. He is a two-time All-Pro, a safety for the Denver Broncos. Cannot wait to see how this year plays out. You've got Denver at Seattle on September 12th. Justin Simmons, my guest. Justin, appreciate you. Appreciate the relationship. It goes without saying. It's great to have you back on. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Jim, again. I appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you soon. You got it, my guy. Appreciate it. Justin Simmons. I love that secondary. I love that secondary. So we had Kareem Jackson on. We had Justin Simmons on. They both rave about Patrick Sertan II. Unbelievable young talent, Sertan. And that is nearly a wrap. Not there yet. Let's see. At Do Onto Yourself tweets. Rockin' Romeo Void. So Nickelback didn't work out. Tonight, how about some Quarter Flash or perhaps some 50 Cent? Quarter flash. That actually is a pretty good idea. Listen, if you're going to walk up to Nickelback and you never should, that idea should have never seen the light of day, much less executed. You sure as hell better win. You have to win. You have to bust that slump. Not only did they not win, they didn't cross home plate because Nickelback. The worst idea ever. JJ Sportmo. Hey, Jim, the BIC should start his smack-off call with Nickelback. It would level the playing field if he starts the call with negative style. Quality control points against him. If the BIC did it, it would work for him. Because even he's bigger than Nickelback. The BIC energy, but he he would know better. He wouldn't. Not if he wants to win. JP in Riverside, Rome, is a lifetime Angel fan. I don't know what's more embarrassing. A 14-game losing streak or coming up to the plate to Nickelback. It would have been a better idea to bring Tony Danza, Danny Glover, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt into the stadium to summon some angels to help them win. Like, that's the guy saying, I'm a longtime angel fan, and that was the lowest of the low. That was rock bottom. That was rock bottom. It's not even like one guy did it. They all did it. Not only did they all do it, they made a modern-day Babe Ruth do it. They made Shohei do it. Even Shohei had to know that was horrible. Even if he had never heard of the band, the second it hit his eardrums, he knew. Like we all do. I already read it, Ritz. Stop. God, you're uptight, old man. Just give it a rest, old man. What is your problem, dude? He's like, huge call, huge call, huge call. Yeah, yeah I know. I, I got it. I read it. You're good. Finally. You, act like it's your, you act like it's your ass or something. Just take it easy, pops. We're all good. Brandon Chambly was a great guest 
as were Jonathan Jones and Justin Simmons. Alvy, like I don't know where this guy is or when he's coming back, but knowing Alvy, he's going to make it a clean sweep. There's no way he's working tomorrow. We will be back to wrap the week then. See you then. We're out. Good night now!